Come on, church. I don't know if that doesn't get you excited. I don't know what is going to get you excited. Amen. So excited to be here. People say, well, what are you kicking off? Well, we're just kicking off. We just love to have a party here at Bethlehem. So any excuse to have a party, we're down. We're so glad to have you worshiping with us today. Uh, if you're our guest, maybe you're here, you're part of the cheering section for some of those baptisms, or maybe you're new to church. Uh, my name is Pastor Jeremy, and I get to be the lead pastor of this incredible church. For all of you joining us online, we are so glad to have you worshiping with us today. Maybe you're tuning in to see some of your loved ones and friends get baptized, but uh, it is a great day to be in church. Uh, I want to ask you this question this morning. And, uh, and the question is, have you ever been told not to get your hopes up? Yeah. <laughs> you ever been told not to get your hopes up? I want to go right to the word in 1 Peter chapter uh, 1 verse 3. It says this, it says, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. Now, I don't know about you, but when people tell you not to get your hopes up, what they're really trying to do is, they're really trying to say, I wanna help keep you from the pain and the sting of disappointment, right? That's really what they're trying to say. I really wanna keep you from being hurt by having unmet expectations. You know, when we were dating, it was coming up to Christmas, and Holly and I have been dating a little while, and, uh, and I, we've been talking about getting married. We kind of knew that was the future, uh, but I didn't want her to be disappointed. And so I told her, just so you know, I'm not going to propose at Christmas. <laughs> just so you know, don't get your hopes up. I don't want you to be hurt. I don't want you to have unmet expectations. And so as far as I was concerned, everything was good. I bought her a Christmas present. I bought her a watch. It was a really nice watch that came in a little box. Yeah. And I put the watch in the bottom of a stocking and I gave it to her at my parents' house in front of my family. And as far as I knew, everything was good. Until I talked to my friend and he said a couple weeks later, he goes, you know she was disappointed, right? I said, what do you mean? I gave her a great watch. No, no, it wasn't the watch. She thought you were going to propose. And I said, but I told her that I wasn't. I said, don't get your hopes up. Well, I didn't know that my brother-in-law, Scott, had said the same thing to her older sister. And then he went and did it. And so she was thinking, this is all a psych out. He's telling me he's not going to do it. And then he's going to go and do it anyways. And it was disappointing for everybody, to say the least. Well... We do that, don't we? We get our hopes based on our past experiences. Her hopes were up based on her past experiences. Some of us, we've had disappointments. We've had letdowns. And because of that, we say, don't get your hopes up. Now, it's kickoff weekend here at the church. And this is exciting. I can't wait to have the barbecue afterwards and the baptisms and the kids move up. It's all great fun. Uh, but I'm also excited today because today is NFL kickoff weekend. This is football. Yes, yes. And so if you don't know this already, I am a big football fan and I'm a fan of the Dallas Cowboys yes love me or hate me I don't care I know I know but so I'm a big fan of the Cowboys I even got my socks on right there look at that so 5:30 tonight you could tune in and watch but it's gonna be great but here's the thing I have a confession to make being a Cowboys fan has affected me negatively it has. 
Let, let me talk to you about this for a minute. Some of you aren't football fans or maybe you're not sports fans, I know. But, but this is what you need to know. It has affected me. See, as a person, I'm upbeat. I'm optimistic. I'm a like, yeah, glass half full kind of guy. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we can do it. But when it comes to being a fan, I'm a little jaded. I recognize that I've become cynical over the years. So many years sitting on my couch going, come on, guys, you can do it. Uh, now I just expect disappointment. <laughs> you know, there's other fans that are like today, they're like, this is the kickoff weekend. This is the year. And I hear about that all the time. And I goes, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> and so I don't trash talk anybody because I, I just, that's not how I rule. But this is how bad it affected me. Holly and I, we went to a football game once in Buffalo. Dallas was playing in Buffalo as a Monday night game. There was a lot of hype. It was just like this morning, but in a football stadium. And we were there, and, uh, and we were there, and the crowd was going crazy, and there's football fans and Bills fans everywhere, and my team was performing. This is the one and only time I've ever seen them live, just so you know. And so I'm there in the stadium watching them, and they performed exactly as I expected. They kicked, the, they kicked off the very first kickoff of the, of the game, and the Bills ran it back 100 yards for a touchdown. I'm like, okay, that's how it's going to go. <laughs> Our quarterback threw five interceptions. Two of them got taken back for touchdowns. If you don't know what that means, we were losing in a bad way. And so I thought, yeah, this is exactly what I thought. They're just the same in person as they are when I watch them on TV. <laughs> but then, this is what they do to me all the time. They give me a glimmer of hope. They came back. And with like 60 seconds on the clock, they were marching into the Buffalo Bills end zone and they scored a touchdown. 30 seconds to go, they were down by two. Now there's a play you can do to earn two points. And so they tried it, they didn't get it. So they're still down by two. And then the miracle of all miracles, they tried an onside kick. That's like the desperation move. You're like, this is all you can do, try to get the ball back. and try. They kicked an onside kick, really low probability that they would get the ball back, but then they did it. This is what they do to me all the time. They did it. I'm like, they're not going to do it. Then they did it. And I was like, there's hope. There's hope. So they threw another pass. It was dropped. I was like, okay, okay this is how it goes. <laughs> then they threw another pass and they caught it. And now we're down to two seconds left on the clock. Down by two. Now there's only one play that they can do. It's a 52-yard field goal with a rookie kicker. And so we're there, and the crowd's going crazy, and the Bills fans are cheering there. And I'm sitting beside this 12-year-old kid. I don't know who he is. I think he's 12. He's wearing a Dallas fan, uh, jersey, and he's naive. He just like, he's like, come on, guys, we can do it. And I was looking at him, and this is where I knew that being a fan had affected me. I looked at him, and I said, dreams don't come true, kid. <laughs> no word of a lie. Don't know who this kid, never met him. Just squashing all his dreams right there, all the cynicism and jadedness of all the years came out of me. And Holly looked at me and said, you idiot! What are you saying to the kid? Don't get your hopes up. Well, then they go and kick the field goal and they get it, the beautiful ball end over end. They, get the, they win by one with two seconds on the clock. It was glorious, best game I've ever been to in my life. And this is what they do to me, up and down like a yo-yo all the time. My emotions just can't take being a Cowboys fan anymore. I'm jaded. Have you ever been told not to get your hopes up? Right? And here's the thing. My past experience as a sports fan has told me not to get my hopes up. But my experience as a believer and follower of Jesus, as a worshiper, uh, in my spiritual life, in my faith life, I have sky-high hopes. 
I have sky high hopes and, and I hope by the end of this sermon today that you'll have high hopes as well. See, we live in a world that can be disappointing and discouraging. We can look at the global events going on. It can be disheartening. Uh, you know, we can look at so many reasons why we can look at each other and say, don't get your hopes up. And yet, as we turn to scripture and as we head into this fall ministry season, I want to encourage you today to get your hopes up. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and say, get your hopes up. Turn to your other neighbor and say, other neighbor, get your hopes up. Get your hopes up today. Because as Peter said when we started this sermon this morning, it says that we've been born into a living hope. It's a living hope. In just a moment, I'm going to turn to the book of 1 Peter. But before we get there, 1 Peter, he's writing to some first generation Christians about 30 years after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. He's writing about 60 AD, and he's writing to some new believers who have recently put their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, but before we get that, I want, I want to turn to one of the moments in Peter's life that shaped what he would later write. In Matthew 16, if you want to turn there with me this morning, Matthew 16, and then we're going to go to 1 Peter 2 in just a moment. Matthew 16, verse 13 says this. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. But then he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah the son of the living God. Now I find it interesting how Jesus frames this question. He first asks us, who do other people say that I am? Now other people's perception of Jesus then, just like it is today, was pretty varied. Uh, we see here that, that some thought that Elijah would return. Uh, some like King Herod thought maybe that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Other people looked at Jesus and said that he reminds us of the ancient prophet Jeremiah, the weeping prophet they called him, with his tender heart. Still others thought he was a deranged lunatic, even demon-possessed. In John 10, 19, it says the people were again divided in their opinions about him. Some said he's demon-possessed and out of his mind. Why listen to a man like that? And others said, this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Jesus first asked them, who do other people say that I am? But then he asked them the all-important question. He says, but who am I to you? Who am I to you? See, Jesus knew his disciples were on the cusp of some days that were going to lead them, uh, that were going to rock their world. He knew that they were on the cusp of some days that were going to cause them to question their faith. Uh, they'd be second-guessing everything that Jesus had taught them about himself and about the kingdom of God. They were going to go through some circumstances in the near future that was going to leave them disappointed, disheartened, uh, maybe even defeated. And in order to prepare them, he doesn't say, guys, don't get your hopes up. What he says, in, what he says instead is, who am I to you? Who am I to you? Who am I to you? How do you prepare for difficult days by asking, who is Jesus to you? If you know anything about Peter, he comes across in the Bible as this really like 
kind of loud and brash, you know, this kind of guy that always is a little unrestrained, a little unfiltered, maybe full steam ahead. Anybody know someone like that in your life? You know, they're just full steam ahead, unfiltered, unbridled. And, uh, and so Peter, he shoots his hand up and he says, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. In this answer, Peter, he's identifying something really powerful. He's saying, he's saying Lord Jesus, I see that you're a good moral teacher. He says, I see that you're a miracle worker. I see that you're a messenger from God, a prophet. I've seen you do all of those things, but I see that you are so much more than that. You are the Messiah. The Messiah this is just a Hebrew word. In, in uh, Greek, we get the word Christ, Jesus Christ. Christ and Messiah mean the same thing. One's Greek and one's Hebrew. It just simply means the anointed one. He's saying, Jesus, you're the anointed one, not just a prophet, not just a moral teacher. You're the anointed one. You're the one sent by God to issue in a new kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God. You're the one that was long prophesied about. You're the one that God has sent into this world. Verse 17, Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Peter had no idea how much this would be mulling over in his mind, playing over and over then the next coming days and weeks and months. What did Jesus mean when he said that the gates of hell won't prevail against his church? See, in the next coming weeks, you know, in this moment, it sounded so exciting, so inspiring. Like, yeah, it's like kickoff Sunday. Yeah, Jesus, that sounds amazing. The kingdom and the church of God, you're gonna do it. Yeah, yeah, woo -hoo. But then he had no idea how challenging it was gonna be. And in this moment, Jesus says, who am I to you? Another way of phrasing that might be, what are your hopes built on? What are your hopes built on? It's important of this question, but more importantly is their response to this question. What is your hope built on? Matthew 16 continues in verse 21, says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. What are your hopes built on? Peter's mulling this over because in this moment, Jesus has promised him something great, something that sounds amazing, that sounds like I wanna be a part of that, and then it seems to be a seemingly failed promise. As Jesus is led to the cross, as he dies, it looks like those promises were empty. It looks like they were powerless. And Peter might have wondered, but what happened to the promise? What happened to the hopes? In that moment, there was a glaring contradiction as he watched his Messiah be crucified and die. We gotta know people. We are reading the story backwards, but in the moment, they had no idea what was gonna happen. In the moment, it looked like Jesus' teaching had all come to nothing. We'd followed him in vain. And yet Peter then had the elation of standing face in face with his resurrected Savior. And it did something in him. Rather than being a Cowboys fan that left him jaded and empty, in that moment it marked him. 
I said, I have a hope. I have a hope, I have a faith, I have a firm foundation that's not based on moralism, it's not based on an idea of philosophy, it's based on this idea that there's a living Savior, that Jesus Christ has stood before me, that face to face I've seen him in his resurrected form and he's promised me one day, just like I've seen him today, I'm going to see him again. And so Peter had a living hope. Let's go from Peter's life now to this letter that he would write a few decades later to some other new believers who are experiencing a crisis of faith of their own. They're experiencing a crisis of faith of their own. They were having a hard time seeing hope for the future because of their present difficulty. You ever notice that? That when, you, when your present is tough, it's hard to see hope in the future. And so this is the place that they're in. These, these people had this new faith in Jesus and it wasn't something that they shared in common with very many people around them, right? We know that Christianity was a very small sect of Judaism that wasn't looked favorably upon. These were the upstarts, the people who were causing uh, waves and, and ruffles in Judaism. Christianity was seen as a sect that wasn't widely accepted and as a result, the early Christians faced suffering, ostracism, persecution for their faith and they're kind of wondering is it worth it is it worth it to endure all of this to continue to maintain our hope and our faith in Jesus Christ on top of that was their expectation that Jesus had said I will return soon I don't know what your definition of soon is but how many know soon is you know not what we're experiencing even today we talk about the soon return of Christ it's been 2,000 years. Talk to a kid about soon, before Christmas, right? <laughs> Christmas is coming, right? Well, what does that mean, right? You get the advent calendar. Imagine, what's 2,000 times 365? I don't know. Whatever, like a 6,000, 60,000. I don't even know what it is. That's why I'm a pastor. You know I'm not good at math. <laughs> Someone tell me how big the advent calendar would be from then till now. I don't know. But here's the thing. They had this expectation. And the longer it got, it's been 60 years at this point, and they're kind of wondering, maybe we shouldn't get our hopes so high. Maybe we should lower our expectations. The doubts are creeping in. And the opposition and the unmet expectations were causing them not to get their hopes up. But Peter says to them, keep your head up and keep your hope up. Keep your head up and keep your hope up. And now he talks to them about his previous experience because his previous experience shapes his pep talk, pep talk to them. He bases his encouragement on this theme of what is our hope built on. Our hope is not on changing circumstances. Uh, our hope is not on feeling that are so fleeting. Uh, our hope isn't in subjectivity. Our hope's not in uh, a person or a, a political party. Uh, our hope's not in a pill. Uh, our hope's not in none of those things. Our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 2, verse 4, he says, You are coming to Christ, who's the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. Jesus is the living cornerstone. This idea is not new to Peter. We see it in the Psalms. We see it in Isaiah 28, where it says this. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. Everyone say firm and tested. A firm and tested stone. It's a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Everyone say safe to build on. 
Whoever believes need never be shaken. You might be stirred, but not shaken. The ancient construction, in ancient construction, the cornerstone was the first stone laid. Archaeologists have actually gone to the temple complex in Jerusalem and they've examined some of the cornerstones. The cornerstone was, was to give the foundation, but it was, it was to give the direction. It was to set the height and the level and the direction. Everything else was built off the cornerstone. Sometimes we have ceremonial cornerstones now. You know, the church would be like dedicated to the glory of God, 1982. There'll be like a little stone in the wall, right? Something like that. This is the, the, the archaeologists in Jerusalem. This is the stone that they found in the Jerusalem Western Wall. It's 10 feet by 10 feet by 45 feet and it weighs 517 tons. Those are stones that the ancient people were using to build. How many know that stone's not going anywhere? That stone's not shifting. That stone's not twisting. That stone is a firm foundation to build on. This is the picture that Peter's giving. Isaiah prophesied and Peter declared that Jesus would be a firm, tested, safe, and unshakable foundation for us to build our lives on. You know, our Christians, our lives aren't built on moral concepts. You know, we don't come here so that we could become better people. That's not what this is about. You know, we don't come for principles to make us better. We don't come just out of historical tradition. We don't come out of rituals that we do uh, because our families have already done it, always done it. We come because there's a living hope. And the living hope is a foundation that each and every one of us need to build our lives on each and every day. A cornerstone, the unshakable one. The one that we orient our lives around. We put the direction of our lives based off of the direction that Jesus Christ has set as the cornerstone. We build our lives on, lean on, look to for strength and support. This morning I want to ask you, what are you building your hopes on? Jesus, Peter says, is the cornerstone of God's spiritual temple. And then he goes on to mention, as the prophecies foretold, that there would be many who would turn to Jesus as a cornerstone, but there would also be many who would reject him. There'd be many who would reject him, many who would look to other foundations, and to them, Peter says, their cornerstone would become a stumbling block, a rock that would trip them up. How many know that Jesus trips many people up and they walk towards God? First Peter 2, 7 says, yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him, but to those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone, and he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. I had someone recently say, I want to know more about the church. I want to know about how does the church align with my views before I come. I, I need to know, you know, can my views uh, fit with the church's views? And I thought, you know what, that's a great question. Thank you for asking it. But here's the real important thing you need to know. The real question isn't how does the church's views align with my views? The first question is what do I believe about Jesus? That's the first question that we all need to ask because what we believe about Jesus will then impact what we believe because we don't align Jesus to our views. We align our views and our lives to Jesus, his teaching and his ways. That's what sets us apart as a Bible-believing Jesus and spirit-filled church. Jesus says, who am I to you? It makes all the difference. He'll either be your cornerstone 
or he'll be your stumbling block. You know, this verse comes with a little bit of controversy. There's some that, uh, that interpret this text. It says that God, uh, you know, that they meet the fate that was planned for them. Some people look at this, that God predestines people to reject Jesus and thus meet the fate, uh, to stumble and meet the fate that was planned for them. Uh, others would believe that this fate was predestined for anyone who would reject Jesus. See, the difference really is that there's some who believe that God and his sovereignty chose some people to salvation and others to stumble and face the fate of judgment. We don't believe that. We believe instead that as Peter says in uh, 2 Peter 3, that God does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. This is the message Jesus, uh, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people came to know Jesus. He said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not people who are predestined to fall. It's people who meet the destiny of the, that is predestined for those who choose to reject Jesus of their own free will. And so the question today is, what are you building your hopes on? What are you building your hopes on today? If it's the economy, it's gonna be up and down. If it's relationships, they come and go and they have various levels of, of fulfillment and frustration. Is it your job or your career? We all know how fickle that can be, but Jesus says, I am the cornerstone. Our Christian hope is built on the person of Jesus. And then Peter says this, First Peter two, he says, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. I love that. They said, what more, your holy priests, through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. See, we're grounded in Jesus and we're glued together in grace. That's what the church is, grounded in Jesus Glued together in grace. As we kick off this new fall ministry season, one of the things I'm thankful for is the health and vitality of this church. Our goal as a church is to be grounded on Jesus and glued together in grace. How many know that the people around us aren't perfect? They don't always get it right. How many know that sometimes your pastor's not perfect? He just cheers for the wrong team. <laughs> He's cynical and jaded. Right? How many know that we're grounded in Jesus? We're glued together in grace. And listen to what Peter said. Because of that, we have a mission. In verse 9, he says, You're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful life. Church, I want us to have our hopes sky high this year. Not just because of our strategies and our ambitions, not just because of the things that we aspire to and want to happen in our church and in our community. I want us to have sky high hopes because Jesus is the cornerstone of our church. He's the cornerstone of our lives. And because of that, we get to share with the world around us. How do we get, this world needs some hope, amen? amen. This world needs some hope. It'd be easy to look at our world and go, don't get your hopes up. But as Christians, believers, as we walk into our workplaces, into our schools, into our jobs sites, our work sites, wherever we go, we should be ones going, get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. Get your hopes up, not because there's a politician that's going to save us, not because there's a political party that has the answers, not because there's an economic uh, boom coming. Get your hopes up. 
because there's a living Savior, Jesus Christ, and it says that he lives at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us, that all who come to him will be saved, not just in the future, but we have an eternal hope today that Jesus says, I will be with you always and forever. Amen, church? Amen. If you had a chance, we're going to take communion together in just a moment. I thought, let's just add one more thing to kick off Sunday. <laughs> Graduation, baptism, barbecue. We're going to celebrate communion. If you haven't got it yet, they're on the table back there. We're going to take it in just a minute. If you've never taken these with us, there's sort of two layers. There's a, a layer on the top with the wafer, and then there's a second layer with the juice. And, but you can take that. And, and as we do, I just want you to prepare your heart. We're going to sing a worship just a moment. Maybe you're here and you're saying, yeah, you know what? Jesus is my firm foundation. That's a good reminder today. Because we're often tempted to build our lives and put our trust in other things. We panic a little when those things seem to be shifting or maybe a little disappointing. But we got to look above those things or be reminded that Jesus Christ never shifts. He never fails. He is the rock on which we build our lives. Maybe you're here and you've never made that decision. Today would be a great day, kickoff Sunday, what a day to say, you know what, today's the day that I'm deciding to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm gonna join the people who got baptized today in saying, Jesus, I need you to be the Lord of my life. I've been wandering, I've been like unhinged, I've been like in the wind as it were, looking for direction, looking for purpose. I need something to ground my life. That thing is Jesus Christ.